Say your name so I can pronounce it correctly. Let me try. Is it Dr. Lourdes? Yes, Lourdes. That's fine. Oh, I did say it? Did I say it right, though? Yes, you okay. said it. <laughs> All right. So we met at the Iswish Conference, uh, 2023 Iswish Conference in St. Louis. Um, could you please tell me your title? Okay, I, I am an MD and an MBA and a fellow for the Iswish. Okay. The conference, yes. And um, a certified sexuality counselor for the ASIC. Perfect. The American, yes. Okay, ASECT is the American Association for Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, right? You know it better than I. <laughs> <laughs> I have to memorize a lot of acronyms. <laughs> um, okay, great. So my first question for you, I guess, would be uh, what is stigma? Let, let's start there. Like. Uh, stigma with sex, sexual health. What does that mean to you in your experience? Well, it, it will be a prejudice. It will be an, uh, a judgmental thought about a person before you actually know whatever is happening. Okay. And yeah. Do you... Or what the person is in, in reality. Yeah. Okay. And do you see that stigma uh, in your work? Yes, I think the stigma is everywhere. I mean, there is no place or no population without, um, you know, some kind of prejudice or, yeah, this um, it's like uh, racism. You know, we both are familiar with that. I'm from Mexico, you being a black person. So we are familiar with that. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's there somehow. It's, it's, it's something like that, I think. Okay. Yeah. Um, are there any situations that you see stigma more? Um, and what I mean by that is when it comes to sexual health, if it comes to like COVID or the flu or uh, with mental health, uh, can you tell me, like, just where you might see that stigma is most prevalent in your work? Probably towards uh, criminals. Probably. Towards who? Criminals. Criminals? Oh, okay. Yeah. Can you explain that, that for me? I think that sometimes, because as physicians, we should take care of every person, regardless of whatever. And sometimes, you know, I seen some hesitation, you know, in regards of criminals that we say, mm, maybe I shouldn't be as professional as I should. <laughs> Something like that. We usually uh, say those type of things out loud. That's the good thing about physicians. And it's also a bad thing because it can be interpreted in a bad way. Okay. But usually, you know, just to let the things out so we hear ourselves and we correct ourselves. That's that's very common among physicians that we say a lot of things out loud. And uh, sometimes uh, we recognize that we need to do better because sometimes we don't see that people who 
are not familiar with this environment, you know, saying out loud things to reconsider thoughts uh, help us to reconstruct and, uh, and um, make a strategy in regard of whatever we are going to do. Because it's, it's what we do. Okay. When, when we are trained, we say out loud, the patient has this, 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 and that. And then the reasoning, you know, works that way. So it's so, just the, proce the process of processing. Yes. And uh, so, but it can be, you know, very rude or I don't know how to, it can be seen by other people, you know, that say, mm, maybe I shouldn't care. Maybe I shouldn't do this because the patient is an assassin or something like that, you know. Okay. Uh, a shooter or, That's you know. what I was thinking. Um, I remember I watched, I don't watch a lot of TV. But I remember seeing uh, like a medical show. It was like Chicago Med or Chicago PD or something like that or Grey's Anatomy. Uh, I don't know which one, but there was an episode where uh, a gunman who had killed or shot someone close to one of the uh, surgeons who had to treat this person and they had an internal conflict of, well, I should just let this person die or, you know, I'm supposed to save everybody. So that line of ethics and integrity is clearly right there, you know, and in that situation, you may not have any judgment for the surgeon if they were to really just let that person die. Like, yeah, they should do their job, but would you blame them? No, probably not nearly as much as if it were a kid and, I don't know. Well, there wouldn't be any association with a criminal, but like a kid who stole a candy bar from a store and ran away, tripped, fell and broke an arm. Right. It would be a completely different. So uh, we should treat everyone. And while mm -hmm. these are two completely different situations, we should still see both of these patients the same as people who need to be treated. Is that accurate? And that's it. And that's it. And uh, what I was referring to is that the the problem is that we do this process out loud. That's typical. That's that's the way it is. And uh, from other people who is not uh, familiar with uh, the, our processing, um, can mean that we are. Yeah, you know, rejecting or unable to perform our job, but uh, it's just a processing. But we show with that uh, situation that we are humans. I mean, we we are as any other person, and we are faulty. We and uh, that's the reason we. I think that that it is good for physicians that we do this. We say things like. Okay. Among physicians, among physicians, yeah. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, now, criminals is one place where we may see this stigma in a sense of being prejudiced. I like that you use that definition because depending on who you ask, different people will say stigma is a different thing. For me, oh, yeah. I would say stereotype and prejudice, you know, yes. whatever the words are, they eventually will come back together 
scenario to scenario. So I would say stereotyping um, a a one individual person based off of a collection of information that you may have about a particular subject. So an example here would be a gunshot victim. Okay, so. In St. Louis, where I'm from, there's a lot of gunshot victims, and it's typically in condensed areas of town. So it will be assumed that you're in that area, you're from that area, that you shouldn't have been involved with whatever you were involved with. So there's a way that people or the uh, healthcare providers will talk to you the way that they will treat you, and that can create barriers of resistance from them being able to get all of the information necessary in order to not just treat them, but to uh, also offer potential resources to help them uh, not be back in that same situation if it is an environmental factor. So I wanna thank you for that because it made me think a little bit bigger uh, as you were talking through the prejudice of criminals and looking at stigma from a different perspective, because I only look at it from a sexual... But there is, there is not much difference with stereotyping. There is not much difference. It is pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. If you consider what we were saying, is being judgmental about the person. And, um, you know, from that, preventing... The um, professional care that we should provide. Okay. So, in a sense, it's, it's pretty much the same. It's, yes. Uh, yes. At the end. Okay. Um, now, we say that we say things out loud for processing. So, people should understand that, you know, we are human. And as we're saying things out loud, we're processing so that we can help. And some of that processing may come off as being rude, but it's a good thing because it's helping you. But it's a bad thing because it's raw thought and it's not completely processed. Do you have an idea of what uh, a solution to that may be? Because I wouldn't want you to not process and keep things in your mind and be thinking to yourself. And I also wouldn't want for you to be rude and say things out loud. So they conflict with one another. So when we look at stigma as a prejudice, how can uh-huh. we um, how can we reduce the prejudice? How can we uh, get rid of this stigma in this particular setting if this is one of the things that's necessary to help with treatment but it also can harm the effectiveness of treatment education is what i take to my to my residents education is what we need for example um one of the lectures is in regard of bdsm practices and if we don't um, are able to, you can see uh, bruises in a body. Uh, I explained this to my to my physicians. And if you if you are not open to the possibility that the patient actually enjoys this in a, in a way, or you start uh, saying out loud, you know, some questions that can be biased toward uh, sounding, um, you know, stereotyping or being judgmental, 
the patient is going to cross uh, any information. It's not going to provide the information that we need to actually provide the, the health that the patient requires. And it is the same for all the STIs and all the abortion issues, all the things related to sexuality, because it is it is important that we do. But the the processing that the reasoning process that I was I was sharing with you is not something that we say in front of patients. We shouldn't. Sometimes yes, that escapes. Uh, because we are humans, but uh, but uh, usually we don't do that in front of a patient. In front of a patient, we we question, inquire, interview. So what I teach is to formulate the proper questioning required for us to get the information needed so we can provide the best care that we can. If the patient doesn't open up with us, the chances, the probability that I am going to make a mistake in regard of treatment increases. Okay. If the patient gives me the information, the probabilities of me being correct and right in regard of the care that I'm going to provide increases. So. Thank you. Um, so we're looking at interview skills essentially like how can we comfortably confidently interview a patient in order to get the information that we need in order to offer the best kind of treatment is that accurate yeah okay yes that's correct and it's not easy because for example what type of sex do you have (laughs) do you use condoms are you using drugs how many you know, partners have you had this last six months and uh, things that are uncomfortable, uncomfortable for every everybody involved in the inquiry, not only for the patient, even for physicians, because physicians also have a culture, a religion, a belief, a set of ethics in their personal lives. And sometimes hearing another person who behaves in a completely different way you know, triggers all of those buttons that we have from our education, culture, culture, morals, and, and all of that. So we, we need to be really conscious about that. And if you are young or, you know, starting, you know, the inquiring learning process to get the, to gather the information that you require, Chances are that you're going to make mistakes. I still do mistakes. I mean, I'm not. I'm an expert, and I still, you know, make mistakes. Obviously, after four years, yeah. Okay, uh, that makes me think. So I work part time as a standardized patient, and part of my job is working with medical students through this interview process and sharing with them how they make me feel to be their patient. And a lot of the questions that they have to ask, like especially early on, they just want to get it right. So it's very textbook. And so sometimes it's offering them new ways of asking questions, new ways of it. How do you do? How do you do? Do you die with me? Yeah. So um, 
let's see, uh, a, one that comes to mind is how many sexual partners do you have? I absolutely hate that question and I don't think that it's relevant or uh, have you had like throughout your life. So if I've been tested, like I, I think it's more important or more useful to know uh, if I've had any partners without barriers since my last STI screening and you can see like their eyes light up they're like oh that makes much more sense because it's not it may give you you know who knows what types of life cycle changes I've had throughout my entirety of my sex life but if you know what's relevant to my most relevant needed treatment I think that it would be okay since my last screening I had one partner without barriers or I mean I could have had like a thousand with barriers but the risk uh is significantly different because of barrier use versus not non-barriered use so that would kind of send whatever your follow-up questions are in different directions so that being like a particular question uh versus like um what kind of sex do you have you know i'll ask like, what do you mean like uh, in this location in this place because a lot of times when we're asking about sex i think that the question is really about intercourse so i think that we have to more creatively uh and open-endedly inquire even after we have built some type of rapport with the patient and make sure that they are comfortable enough in sharing more details about their sex life. But we also have to be more comfortable with uh, hearing what we might hear about a person's sex life, because there could be some things that, like you said, uh, may conflict with our bias, religion, ethics, values, and things like that. But we can't put that onto the healthcare provider. So when it comes to the questioning and interview process, you know, I often offer this formula of meeting whatever information is shared uh, with gratitude and curiosity. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Can you tell me more? Um, if someone were to ask a specific question about uh, my sex life. So uh, I know you asked, you know, how I do it. And I think it's it's very situational. But to give another example um, a question would be, um, I don't know, I, I don't, ah, I, I hate that I'm drawing a blank right now. Nothing's like coming off the top of my head that isn't necessarily sex related, but it's all, it's often the sex related questions that I see that there's a little bit of judgment, unless there's like a case where there's kids involved or there's drugs involved. Ooh, perfect. I got one now. Drugs. Um, do you, do you smoke? Or do you drink any alcohol? I think that when these questions kind of come from out of nowhere and we don't preface it with something, that it makes me a little more unlikely to answer the question. So what I offer for the students is to preface questions that seem unrelated to the chief complaint uh, in a way that will allow for me to be like, oh, well, this might be related. Let me tell you the truth. So instead of do you use drugs? Do you drink alcohol for it to be? All right. Hey, I know you said you came in here for some stomach pain. Um, so I'm going to ask you a few questions that may seem unrelated, but ultimately they could be what's contributing to your symptoms. Is that OK with you? Oh, OK. And what I'm going to think as the patient is, oh, uh, whatever they ask me might be related to this pain and it might help them with giving me the right medication, whatever. So 
when you then ask me whether or not I drink and I say yes, and then you ask me, you know, about how often do you drink? I'm going to be more likely to give you the real answer. I drink every day. I have uh, a pint of whiskey when I get home from work and a beer. I'm going to be more likely to tell you that without the fear of being judged or stigmatized as an alcoholic. And then how you respond to that based on my discomfort or comfort as a patient may be with curiosity or gratitude curiosity thank you for sharing that um is this you know on a regular basis like what is this every day how often do you do this or um did you notice that when you were drinking that your stomach pain started and you can begin to do it in that way and i i have a little bit of a uh, a struggle there because on one hand you're expected to learn so much retain so much also solve the problem but you also have to be good at interviewing and do all of these little itty bitty teeny tiny things that aren't really taught in school that aren't really science-based so i have more empathy for uh, the healthcare providers the medical students that are expected to know so much and then they get in the room with me and they may say something uh that's so small but it will throw off the entirety of their ability to provide treatment to this patient. So it, it's, it's, it's a balance. It's a, it's a huge balance. <laughs> it is. It is. And uh, it's, it's uh, something that uh, you need to practice on a regular basis to be able to, to improve your expertise. And um, the other thing that uh, I do is uh, put my own uh, residents to interview each other. And uh, that's that's always funny and uh, very useful because they know each other, but they can see easily the barriers, you know, to ask the questions, the proper questions that you're looking for. It's important to understand that not all of the um, um, visits, the clinic visits, are scenarios for inquiring about sex. You have to wait for the right time. Usually the annual uh, check or if something related to the condition is there, you know, being comes with something in particular that is related to actual, you know, an infection or or something related to the, the sexuality itself. So that that that's that's a proper moment, you know, to try to inquire more or go further. But um, the confidence should be built. It's something that you are going to get toward you know, different sessions. It's not just in the first one when the patient finally opens up in regard of something that is, unless the patient comes asking directly for something, well, you, you will get it from the patient. But if something that is hidden, um, because usually people are secretive, we don't want to say about our practices or desires or anything. We are secretive in regard to sex. Why you are asking me this? And uh, when a patient uh, says, 
I remember um, a patient uh, complaining about uh, being uh, questioned, like um, uh, from the church, and um, I I told him um, it was not me who was doing the interview. It was it was a resident. And I explained to the patient that um, how sometimes questions out of nowhere trigger us from something that happened in the past. And I apologize, obviously. And uh, I explained to him the reason for the questioning. And he, he understood. People understand. I don't think that people are idiots or ignorance in in any way or sense. I believe it, that we all understand if we receive the proper information. Okay. Um, I know we are coming up on a half hour mark, uh, and I want to be mindful of your time. So uh, do you mind if I just ask you like one more question, uh, yes. and then we can begin to close out? Yes, of course. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, so going through what I have so far, we've defined stigma as prejudice and where you see it most prevalent in the healthcare field is with criminals. Um, and there is a code of ethics that we should take care of everyone. So whether that criminal is an adult who's murdered people or if it's a kid who stole a candy bar, fell, broke their arm, running away from the store that they were stealing from, they deserve to be viewed the same and treated uh, as best as we can. Um, we often say things out loud in order to hear ourselves and in order to process information. That's what's useful to us. And this can be seen as rude if you know it's heard by someone else. But on the other hand, it's how we process. Uh, the solution to what we're deeming to be stigma as it relates to prejudice is going to be education. Um, an example that you gave from that, uh, from the, uh, wait, this was separate. I just wrote it next to each other, but we talked about, uh, like BDSM practices and a person's own openness to the patient being able to share hey, that maybe some of these bruises are consensual and this is something that a person may enjoy about their sex life. So when we look at that openness, it also applies to STIs, it applies to abortions, it applies to sexuality. So really what we need here is not just education, uh, but also practice. So I'm thinking practice, uh, education through the practice of formatting these interview questions. Uh, we want to understand that how a person asks a question is going to be really critical in the information that they get. And one of the big challenges here, that that's probably my biggest takeaway, is that patients too can be very secretive and they may want to know, oh, why are you asking me that? Why are you asking me this? How is this even important to it? So this is what I have so far. And now my question to you is as I move forward and I speak with more healthcare providers, what I'm going to do is, you know, sort of map this out and look for common patterns and themes. And then I'm going to distill this into some sort of a survey that can be conducted so that I can see what the healthcare providers need. What is something that based on our conversation today, 
uh, you would like for me to know as I move forward with this project that I'm working on? But let me understand your project. Oh, say that one more time. I'm sorry. Let me understand better your project. Your project is to towards healthcare providers or? Yes. Uh, can you clarify? Yes. Can you give me more information in that regard? Mm -hmm. so, what is your project? So this project will be taking what I've learned over the last six years of interviewing people who have been diagnosed with an SCI and they said that the their healthcare providers didn't do a good job. That is very vague and it doesn't help with coming up with any sort of solution. So I have ideas of what that uh, looks like and it typically revolves around stigma that they may have faced from a healthcare provider. So what I want to do is understand where and why and how stigma play a role in the healthcare providers uh, workplace field and come up with a solution there that I can sort of bring to the middle point from where the patient and provider meets so that I can help with uh, giving more understanding of the prevalence of stigma and show patients what they can do in order to alleviate stigma and providers what they can do to alleviate stigma so that there is just less stigma prevalent when healthcare providers and patients meet. Did that make sense? Because I, I, I'm still trying to formulate this in a concise way, but I'm basically interviewing healthcare providers to see what the problem, and I, I hate using this phrase for lack of a better word, what the problem is with stigma in the healthcare field, because I have more of an understanding now of what it is when it comes to patients. And it typically revolves around uh, like sex and any sort of preconceived notions about a person who tests positive for an STI. Okay. What is triggering what is triggering me is that I have the impression that you assume that every physician is prejudiced. And I I don't think that that's the case. No, no, and no, I, no. I, I, <laughs> And I also believe that is not what you are in, in thinking. I I am I know that you believe as I do that uh, there is a problem um, that we need to to solve. But uh, first, we need to consider. I think that you need to consider how often the problem emerges. How how happen you know um, because it can be it can be different according to the situation according to the specialties for example um, a family practitioner is going to interview a patient from a perspective completely different from an oncologist or a surgeon or a psychiatrist so don't assume that the inquiring is the same across the spectrum of physicians. So this is not 
a goal, you have different, different scenarios. This is what I see. This is this is my reality. When I train um, uh, family practitioners, it's a different situation than when I train urologists or when I train oncologists, people who only cares about in regard to breast cancer or, you know, this is a different, completely scenario. A lot of oncologists never going to ask in regard of the sexuality of the patient. It shouldn't be that way. They should. They should also take care. But no in the same way. Because we physicians, we rely on each other. For example, what I say to an oncologist, just to give you a, a clear example, that the, the, the woman um, who suffered a hysterectomy from, because of uh, uh, cancer, ovarian cancer or, or uterine cancer, cervical cancer, and required the removal of the organs, now is complaining of uh, painful sex and all of that. So at least what you should do is to refer the patient to the proper professional is what we do so the oncologist is not going to inquire you know much but at least to keep in mind they should have in mind that the patient may have or for sure in some cases when we treat uh, with certain hormones the patient is going to develop atrophy, vaginal atrophy, and a lot of the conditions that is going to provide to be the reason for a painful sex. So uh, that's the education for oncologists. Hey, be aware and send the patient to the gynecologist. Or, uh, you know, you are treating the patient for prostate cancer. He may develop or he is going to develop um, erectile dysfunction. Send the patient for rehabilitation of the um, erectile function. That's what I do for oncologists. But it will be completely different for a family practitioner. You, you know what I mean? So you have in front of you different goals, not just one goal. Thank Keep you. That in mind. Yeah, so I, I wrote down, so what I, I want to repeat back what I heard. So essentially, as I'm conducting all of these interviews with different people, I need to understand, or I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. The work that's been done to this point, interviewing the patients, what I have to take into consideration is where they might have gone for certain types of treatment. And maybe the person that they saw was speaking to them, treating them from a lens of their profession. So a family physician, an emergency room nurse, uh, a uh, urologist, uh, someone who who's regularly even working with people in regards to sexual health. These are just four different perspectives of going into the conversations about sex and each of these people is going to have a different experience level with mm -hmm. talking about sex so what we would want to do is be mindful of where we're going for treatment about our sexual health care or health care in general because we may feel like we got bad 
treatment or we weren't treated properly for something or we didn't get the answers that we wanted um, from the wrong kind of doctor. Not wrong, but uh, from someone who may It not... is the wrong doctor. Oh, yeah, okay. it is. You cannot ask about uh, cardiologic symptoms to an oncologist or maybe he's going to know something, you know, but it's not the proper uh, path, you know for you to get the answers that you are looking for. So I think that is important for us to educate patients, people, the population, who is the one to ask. That's it. Yeah. That's I think that's that's where we can close out at knowing who to ask. Yeah. <sighs> this was really helpful and I thank you for being my first uh, on this. Um, because I'm, I'm still trying to formulate it and put it together in a way that I can communicate it. But, uh, this was really good experience for me being able to move forward and do this. And I will keep you, uh, in the loop. Uh, I'm not going to like email you every day about what's happening, but once this project has its foundation, I'll touch base with you again. And then of course, like once it's done, I'll share with you like the finished product. So I thank you so much for your time today yes. and being willing to connect and for all that you shared. And I do, I do have some questionnaires that you may use and I can share with you. Yeah. Yes, of course. In regard of education for both the physician and the patient. Yes. Yes, we will do that. Let's uh, keep this uh, like in two weeks or something. If you agree, yes. we can do that. Yes, all I right. would love that. Thank you so much, Dr. Lourdes. Yes, you have it was really, it was really good. See you, Connie. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Oh shit! Oh, I was supposed to stop this. That was good. <laughs>